Pastor Mai, good afternoon and welcome to this week's episode of Perspective on Manx Radio. I'm Dolan Mercer. The idea of an Auditor General on the Isle of Man is not a new one by any means, but it's a topic that resurfaced this week after a hearing of a Tinwald Committee. The Public Accounts Committee took oral evidence in public from Adrian Jenner, who's the Director of Parliamentary Relations in the UK, and Linda Mills, the Parliamentary Relations Manager with the UK's National Audit Office. The aim of the evidence session, the committee says, was to increase awareness and understanding of the role of a supreme audit institution – This is a function the Isle of Man has made provision for in the Tinwald Auditor-General Act, but the legislation is not fully in force. I said it's not a new idea, and here's a former MLC speaking at the end of the last Tinwald administration in June 2015 about proposals to create an Auditor-General here, introduced by Alex Watton. Could the appointment of an Auditor-General save the island money? The question was raised during this week's sitting of the Select Committee of Tinwald reviewing the committee's system. Former Chair of the Environment and Infrastructure Policy Review Committee, Dudley Butt, who was giving evidence, he says he believes it would be a good move. We passed a bill, I think, in about 2010 to actually appoint the position. Um, I've seen the Auditor-General in action in Northern Ireland, and they're an independent investigative um, branch led by a man who investigates things on behalf of government to um, hold them to account and I think the evidence over there showed that he actually saved the government money because he actually was able to pinpoint economic problems and where things had gone wrong and actually improve things and save money. So that was back in June 2015. Daphne Kane, MHK, has asked about the prospect of an Auditor-General in this administration too. In February last year, she quizzed the Chief Minister over what plans he had to include the establishment of the post in the programme for government, and also what work Treasury had done to estimate how much it would cost. Establishing an Auditor-General on the Isle of Man would cost the government between £400,000 and £500,000. The Chief Minister gave the figure in this month's sitting of Tinwald in response to a question by MHK Daphne Kane. Mrs Kane suggested it is slack to have not appointed an Auditor-General for the programme of government. Howard Quayle says he has an open mind on the subject, but with the budget only announced this week, it's a matter of priority. He added, if it is sought by ministers, then he's happy to look into it. This response was not met well by the questioner. I'm a bit puzzled by the Chief Minister's response, if I'm honest. When we try so hard to meet international obligations in so many in financial um, regulation and tax, why would he have an open mind? Why wouldn't he be banging the drum and leading the way on appointing an Auditor-General. Is he aware that so far we are with Guernsey, um, two jurisdictions who do not have one, but uh, all but the smallest overseas territories have an Auditor-General. Even St Helena, little island St Helena, with a population of only 5,000, has an Auditor-General. So that was almost a year ago. As I mentioned at the top of the programme, this week saw the Public Accounts Committee do some digging into how things are done across the water. The panel is made up of Speaker of the House of Keys, Dewan Watterson, MLC's Tim Crookall, David Cretney and Jane Poole-Wilson, plus MHK's Rob Callister and Chris Robertshaw. They spoke to Adrian Jenner and Linda Mills from the UK's National Audit Office about the body itself, plus its work with the UK Public Accounts Committee, 
in how it assesses value for money, good governance and the work of the Controller and Auditor General. Mr Watterson started by asking the guests to outline in broad terms what the functions of a National Audit Office or Supreme Audit Institution are. Yeah, so in, um, I'm sure the members will have um, um, follow-up questions um, in depth, but in broad terms, I, I see it as three main functions. First of all, we, uh, the NAO audits government departments and other and other bodies, other central government bodies, and also non-central government bodies, including in recent years, uh, we've taken on the audit of the BBC, for example, um, and the Bank of England. So there are around 390 um, accounts that the NAO uh, lays, lays in Parliament per, per annum. Um, these are all signed by the by the by the CNAG. The vast majority of those are required by statute, so they're laid out in law, and uh, the NAO um, has to be the auditor. Um, of those accounts. In addition, we provide um, Parliament with value for money reports, VFM studies, as we're probably we, we, we will call them, and these focus on the economy, efficiency, and effectiveness of government spending. We're not looking at the merits of any particular policy. I think that's quite key to to draw out and to emphasise. We're looking at how well uh, policy has been implemented according to the, the three E's um, that I outlined. And there's roughly speaking, it depends on the year. Um, of course, last year was, uh, w w was a uh, 2019 was a bit different because of the general election and the hiatus that that caused as far as uh, Parliament's activity uh, but roughly about between 55 65 or maybe sometimes on a particularly productive year 70 VFM studies are laid before Parliament um, every year they are primarily taken primarily taken by the public accounts committee but not exclusively we do do work for other um, committees of the house and um, third and not least and this is an area that we we are very keen to um, to emphasize and also um, a, a growing really um, part of our work and that's so uh, we support other departmental select committees with um, what we call departmental overviews and they're a core part of our work which in the idea of those is to set out for parliamentarians the scope of um, government departments their their remits their expenditure um, and their responsibility is in a very clear, clear way um, for, for Parliament, but they're also public documents. They are then published on both the committee and our, our website and not forgetting um, our investigations work, which again is a, is a growing area and which, of course, Linda may want to talk more about. She's, um, she's experienced in carrying out investigations um, herself, but those are th the three broad areas. Mr Paul Wilson. Um, thank you for that overview. Just picking up on the last point, um, yep. the investigations work, is that into discrete issues? So how do you draw the line between, for example, the value for money studies, which are looking at... Well, you tell me, but what, what, how would you distinguish the investigations? Okay, yeah, I'll take that question. So, yes, the investigations are actually a separate stream of work um, and they uh, are different to our value for money studies in, in quite a few ways, really. Um, they tend to be... Uh, 
studies that we do um, in response to events um, and what they do is to just lay out the facts of the events so unlike VFM studies they're not evaluative uh, generally they do not include a conclusion or recommendations so they are purely there to set out the facts um, and for example uh, in the UK in Westminster the Public Accounts Committee will still take them as evidence for sessions as they do value for money reports. <clears throat> Mr. Robert Shaw. Thanks. I, honing in on your point about not involving yourself in policy, which I obviously get, but where did, you, <clears throat> where did your office sit during the process of the development of the public-private partnership processes, both the original, uh, forgive me if my phraseology is not absolutely right, and then uh, as it sort of developed into the second version of it, did you have any engagement at all in that process? Um, I'll probably take that question because one of my first roles in the NAO was to work on our uh, team that was looking at PFI projects. Um, but as, as Adrian said earlier, we do not uh, examine the policy. So our role was not to question the PFI policy, but it was to look at, as we, as we always do with any project, whether it's been delivered uh, value for money terms so we we did a lot of work at the time it's still a project uh, an area that we still cover now so uh, last year we did a report on PFI projects and it'll be something we continue to look at partly because some of these contracts are so long in length in terms of 25 to 30 years so they still are um, you know a, a big part of government expenditure even though the policy itself has changed over the years thank you thank you and, and just picking up on that, even though you're not looking at the merits of the policy, presumably then the way parliamentary committees, public accounts or otherwise pick up your work is if there's a theme emerging about perhaps it not delivering <coughs> best value for money, that's where the policy is examined then at, 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 through those parliamentary committees. That's, yes, that's absolutely right. So um, the, the, there are a number of 24, I think, or there, there were, I mean, we'll, we'll see if there any machinery or government changes, but about 24 or so departmental select committees in the last parliament, uh, which are charged with looking at uh, very much a, a policy. Um, and so on occasion they do draw on our, on our work and the work of the PAC, the Public Accounts Committee as well. Um, I'm thinking of uh, quite a big example, it's a few years ago now, but um, when the Royal, the, uh, Royal Mail was uh, was privatised, and that was an example where the NAO produced a report. Then the Rel the Bay Select Committee took it on and did their own work, but they that they also drew very heavily on on our, on our work. And I think there was a there have been more recent um, examples. Motability. There was a big inquiry into the motability scheme, uh, which was based <coughs> on the NAO report, which the Bay's Committee um, used as the basis of its inquiry. So just um, building on that theme then, how do you as an office, uh, as the Control and Auditor General, actually select um, what inquiries, what value for money studies will be done in the, the coming year? What's the, the, the selection criteria? So, so in terms of uh, which studies we decide to do every year, I suppose there's two main uh, avenues towards uh, where we get to in the end. One is 
driven by our own sort of risk assessment of, uh, and also issues across government that we identify. So if there's big emerging themes, particularly either across government or within particular departments, um, that will highlight some areas for us to examine. The second uh, thing we take into consideration, though, is obviously parliamentary interest uh, because we are reporting to Parliament at the end of the day and uh, a large proportion of our work is taken as evidenced by the uh, Committee of Public Accounts uh, and also public interest if there's something that's too big to ignore we would consider that so those are sort of the, all of those things sort of come together in helping us uh, put together our programme every year. Can I just add, just, just add uh, just something to, to what Linda said, and of course our assessment of risk, so um, quite often that's drawn out of the financial account reporting, some um, um, ideas for, for VFM studies might be drawn mm. out of that, and we are as an office looking to work more close, get the two areas, VFM and our financial audit, working more closely together, um, but also absolutely, um, um, Linda is quite right about the parliamentary interest, but that's not to undermine the independence of the CNAG. Um, it, the statute says that um, the uh, CNAG needs to, I think the phrase is, take into account the views of the PAC when mm. setting his or her programme. So there's no, you're not bound in any way, but there is a provision to um, listen to um, to the committee's ideas for inquiries, which we do do formally at least twice a year. We will sit around with the committee and 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 discuss. Um, the CNH will discuss um, his his program with them. But in reality, it's a lot more uh, that you have the informal contact. I mean, the committee meets twice a week, and we we the CNH is almost always there as well. So there's that opportunity. And um, could. I then ask how um, you've talked about sort of a landscape there that will be similar to the landscape faced by internal audit but your approach to determining what you do and what they do and how they do it will be quite different. Could you um, bear in mind that in the Manx experience people have a, probably a greater understanding of what internal audit do than perhaps the role of the NAO or the CNAG. Can I ask you to perhaps draw out some of the differences between what the National Audit Office do and what internal audit would do? Yeah, well, I think, I think the main, for us, the main difference is internal audit work for the government departments. So, um, whereas we are independent and, and we'll look at, you know, what we choose to, um, the internal audit function within a department is obviously partly driven by the demands of its own um, civil servants and, and management there. Um, that's not to say, though, that we don't work with internal audits. So, if I could give you an example, for example, on a VFM study, one of the things that we would look at as part of our evidence gathering is internal audit reports to help us understand the decision making uh, and also what the focus of the internal audit function was because obviously they set their own programs um, and we wouldn't uh, unlike here internal audit doesn't re report to parliament in the same way um, it's the NAO that does that, but as I say, we do draw on evidence that we gather through internal audit functions. So I suppose one of the, the differences would be, whereas their focus would perhaps be more on internal controls, yep. yours would be value for money, yep. um, and, and there's a difference in the transparency and the accountability of the process. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they, as I say, they don't, they don't report uh, publicly. That's right. Mm. Um, Mr Crenny. Yes, thank you. One of the things I was wondering... Uh, we obviously get the BBC News and other 
services are available. One of the things that uh, is noticeable uh, in terms of high-profile issues of the HS2 and the uh, increases in price that are suggested, is that something that you've carried out work on and to what extent you get involved in that? Yes, um, well in HS2 for, for an example we have been looking at the programme from the very, very early stages, it's a, a project like that that even in the best case scenario is going to last what 30 years to if not more, the decision was taken uh, by the by the CNAG to that would, there would be various um, uh, milestones that um, when they were reached that we would we would go in and, and audit and we published as you know aware you allude to a report only last week um, on HS2 um, that's the latest one but it was certainly not the first and it will be um, and, it, and I'm pretty certain it won't be the last I don't know if anything to add Linda <coughs> no I don't no. think so but it yeah no I mean that that's a, a major infrastructure project um, and huge risk so if you go back to what we were talking about earlier on about how we choose what to do yeah. that stands out as a huge risk on the uh, government spending mm. area so will always be something we'll keep an eye on Another example would be the Universal Credit uh, Transformation Project uh, Program, um, where we have um, inve- uh, we, we, we've carried out studies from the beginning and right the way through, and will continue to do so. Uh, other, uh, um, sorry, Mr. Roberts, your first now. Um, you're independent. You, you choose where you're going to investigate. You presumably produce reports. Is there any way government is able to invest in your collective? progressive experience mm. within the office as a whole do, do you ever produce summary reports or is there any way that government can learn from your mm. broad experience well it, I, just to start off with I mean I would probably say that one of our although the NAO is there to hold um, government to account and report to parliament uh, another objective for us is to actually improve public services which requires us to so there's, there's a number of ways I mean obviously we are the auditors of government but we do have a unique perspective of what's happening across government so working with civil servants at, you know a sort of informal working level we do have the chance to share experience or just to point out things we see in other departments but we also do publish on our website uh, some of the things you uh, refer to there like good practice guides so we did something on commercial and contracting not that long ago um, we even have put together um, guidance on how audit committees work together so it's at, you know very different levels very practical levels to sort of thematic <coughs> levels across government so we do see part of our role is to support government um, uh, you know across Whitehall to improve and to share good practice. Is that, is that contribution well recognised and, uh, and embraced or, or perhaps not? Um, I think generally and we, we do um, uh, a survey with government departments and Adrian might be able to say more of this and you know one of the things we ask about is how we contribute to what they do um, and it's usually very positive in the sense that people do see us there as helping departments not just being there to uh, hold them to account. I don't know if you want to add anything. <coughs> yeah, that, absolutely I agree with everything um, um, Lin- Linda said and um, we call it a client 
feedback survey, annual survey is conducted by Ipsos, so it's independent of us, and we look very much on um, questioning senior civil servants and and others about how how they the audit experience, if you like, but also for, there are questions um, feedback focused on how we've helped them in, improve um, their work. I think it's probably also timely at this stage to say that you know, despite friends of the media not being critical um, at all but um, it's, it's not all of our reports are negative so that those are the ones that of course generate um, the headlines but we do do a number of reports that are um, you, you know quite fairly positive about things that have gone well uh, believe it or not um, so um, you know the, the, the value of those I don't think could, could be could be underestimated either. Yeah, we, we, I think we said something nice in one of our annual reports a couple of years ago about a department and they nearly fell off their chair. It's the first time, first time it's happened, but it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's good to be able to do that. Can I, can I just ask then, on the back of that, your relationship with officers and politicians, how does that play out? You obviously said, you said you're independent and you, you know, your reports are seen as helpful sometimes, you know, but your relationship with officers and politicians? Well, I think... Um, I, start off by differentiating between uh, let's take politicians first because there are members of the government the ministers of which we would not typically have great to do with um through the course of our work and certainly we you know we are there to support the the, the scrutiny committees uh, of parliament so we have a pretty good um, close relationship particularly with the committee of public accounts but also those other select committees that um i i talked about uh, I, I mentioned earlier, we do another survey as well, an annual omnibus survey, again conducted by Ipsos, um, which tests our reputation in vo by various measures within Parliament. That's carried out every winter. I believe it's ongoing now. So that will look at um, how we will get measures there for how they view our independence, our authority, our accuracy, um, issues like that. As I say, it's different with ministers, of course. Um, um, we, we we tend to have less to do with them, frankly. Senior civil servants, Linda will have far more experience than I do about that. I think our our, our contact with them is from the CNAG downwards, but tends to be at a senior senior level. Though, of course, on a on a working basis, that that we will be with with more middle ranking or junior. Um, civil servants but you've done it in practice Linda, right? yeah yeah and as I say it tends to be you know you are the auditor at the end of the day so you are holding the uh, civil servants to account but um, generally the relationships are constructive and you know from time to time you will have somebody who stands up and says the NAO report is welcome and very useful so mm -hmm. um, um, but I, generally I think the relationships are good and that, uh, probably a point to make is uh, you know in current years when departments have you know been experiencing uh, cuts in spending you know sometimes the NAO has been there helpful in actually helping them determine where cuts might be made or how they can work more efficiently so you know it has been an opportunity to actually add, add value mm. to what we do okay uh, th that's a really interesting one to pick up on certainly um, I think we can all think of the local context around that could you give us an example of that please um, just trying to think uh, I mean 
I think some of the, some of the big projects, so areas like MOD, uh, health, uh, education. I think you know some of our recommendations have been helpful when you've got a huge department like that and you've got to make cuts somewhere in identifying the areas, um, both where you can make the cuts. But I think through our recommendations and the Committee of Public Accounts recommendations, it's helped them, you know, meet meet some of the targets they've been ch- you know challenged with recently. Mr. Robert Shaw. Well, so many questions. <laughs> um, you say, obviously, you, you, you engage closely with the public accounts, but how, how does the, typically, how does the relationship between other committees work? You mentioned that you, you engage with them. Do they come to you? Do you go to them? How, how does it actually pan out? It's both, really. Um, so we, um, the CNAG is, is always, the CNAG is an officer of the House of Commons, and um, he takes that. Um, both Gareth Davis, um, who's been in post since uh, June of last year, and his predecessor, Sir Amy Smalls, um, take that absolutely very seriously. And that's not ju- that means it's not exclusively to the PAC, but other committees. And we do that through the departmental overviews I talked about, but also giving we uh, we ourselves proactively identify areas where we think that it would be helpful to the committee for him to give evidence um, to in their inquiries if it's not him it could be other um, members of staff senior senior members of staff but also because of his role and he is he is known in in parliament and um, the reputation that the NAO has I'm pleased to say committees will proactively come to us and ask us for ask for him to give um, Give evidence, and uh, in the last Parliament, for example, the Work and Pensions Committee, I would, I would, without having the figures on me, I would say that that he was probably the most, the single most, other than ministers, a regular attender. Yeah, I mean, he, he did That's a good. number of. Uh, in terms of recruiting your office team, your, the, the, the team in your office, is it from outside and from <coughs> people who have had experience working inside government? Is, do you try to mix the, the team inside you your own? My team, the yes. parliamentary relations team. Um, it's a mixture. There are people who have worked um, uh, for a number of years in, in audits um, in, the, in the NAO, but we also have, as very keen, I came from outside of the NAO. I was the first person to... Um, to do this, to do this, to this job, um, who had come from outside. I used to work in Parliament, um, but also I've been keen to make sure that um, when when there is a vacancy, we we have recruited uh, from experts, people who are working, who used to work in Parliament, whether they work for a, um, an MP or or in the House administration, and so. That I think because I think it's really key that to have that insight about how yeah. Parliament works and a practical rather than a theoretical yeah. nature. Thank you. Um, but within the wider organisation, sometimes you're, you you also um, recruit direct entry, don't you? And then I know you train chartered right. accountants, for example, um, yes. as part of their training contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get people mm-hmm. in and then take them on that path as well as um, the other people that you bring in. Yeah, it's, right. a mi- it's a mix. I mean, we we take on uh, about seventy trainee accountants every year wow. so that that feeds uh, and uh, and the majority of our work is financial audit so we do need that but then on the value for money side um, some people have come from been in the NAO they may uh, start out and train as a chartered accountant and then work 
on uh, value for money, but we also bring in experts, so that may be people who are commercial contracting, procurement experts, environmental experts. So it's it's a mix of those two things. Um, but as Adrian said earlier, we, we are trying to integrate our financial and value for money work. So there is, you know, now opportunities for people to work across the piece. So do financial audit and also work on our value for money reports as well. Thank you. Mrs. Paul Wilson. Yes, just um, picking up on the theme of the relationship with government and where you've been able to be helpful. I'm just comparing the scale of the Isle of Man with the, the scale on which you're working. And... Um, I wonder whether it sounded like before when you were talking about the ability to, to help departments work out where they can make cuts and be more efficient, it almost sounded like you do that on a very sort of department by department basis. I wondered whether you ever find ways to work in a more pan-government way, particularly because, as you said before, you have a unique overview of, of you know all the different departments. Um, I think that yes, there are examples, and I think it, uh, of where we have done reports and work which looks across themes. So, say, commercial contracting, procurement, uh, things like digital services. So, you know, done reports recently on things like cyber security. Um, in the past, things about grant making across government. So, it is trying to to look at themes. Um, and, and even when we do do a report on a single department, I think our recommendations, although they are focused on that department, we would like to see that those recommendations are also relevant to other departments uh, as well, and, and you know they may be able to apply them in their own context. Um, but I think cross-government work and, and addressing some of those systemic themes is, is something we will be trying to do more of as we go forward as well. Another example in... in, in um it was almost real-time audit was the preparation the government's preparations for exiting the the eu of course which clearly spread across a number of departments if you're looking at the border it would affect a number of different departments and agencies and i think um yeah that, that by necessity that meant that we were looking mm. across departments could you just take a step back at that point and talk about the 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 basic size and scale of, of the National Audit Office as an organisation. Can you uh, tell me how many people and, and how much it costs to run the NAO in a year? So it's uh, just over 800 staff right. and the net cost is £65 million. Pounds. Okay. Um, and how has that size been determined? Is it something of a sort of historic growth? Is it based on a sort of ratio of the overall size of the public sector? Is it... Is it less formulaic <laughs> um, well I, I guess it is less formulaic <coughs> than that but there are a number of there are a number of uh, by statute activities that the, the NEO has to has to um, undertake so for example I mentioned about the number of audits 390 the vast majority of those are statutory and they keep being added to in recent years I mentioned earlier the BBC the Bank of England but there was also Network Rail which um, before that about five years ago which are big uh, big audits and need um, um, to be resourced uh, properly likewise the Public Accounts Committee expects between you know, roughly speaking, 55 to 70 um, outputs a year for which they can de decide which um, which they take um, evidence on. 
And so, you know, there are a number of things that we have to do. We have to, as an organisation, make sure that we're, we keep in line with um, national audit standards, internationally recognised um, ways to undertake audits, which, of course, need some investment. The great, uh, I'm no expert on this, um, so please, um, but, but I want, uh, this particular area, but um, the use of technology um, to, to undertake audits, I understand that a lot of them, you know, are going to be able to be automated so there, there is an investment there we can't be seen to be um you know we need to as far as we can in the public sector organization be up with it with the uh with the latest technology there yeah. and as a way we do it every year um we uh, present our estimate mm-hmm. to the public accounts commission um which is a parliamentary body uh comprises senior members of Parliament is currently chaired by Sir Edward Lee, who was formerly um, the chair of the PAC. Meg Hillier, who is the current chair of uh, the Public Council Committee, is on that. Is a, is a member, as is Richard Bacon and various other, and the leader of the House of Commons. I have to say, and so they they hold us to account, but in two main ways. Every year we present our strategy, but we also present our estimates, and they they scrutinise that and decide. They make a recommendation on whether or not we should have them that that money. So, so um, for example, I've seen a few different versions of this, but that <clears throat> is a recommendation to the Treasury that would then go into the finance bill. Um, it's not an instruction. Um, <clears throat> it is an instruction because um, I'll, I'll be to be um, stand to be corrected because Parliament decides what money it mm-hmm. costs. It, need, it needs to run Parliament. It's yeah. the exclusive cognizance there. So I don't know the exact terminology, but the, I should point out the Treasury does comment on our estimate. They, they helpfully every year provide the committee with um, a memorandum of where they, they, we, we might want to be, this is published, we might want to be challenged a bit about our various um, expenditure lines in our, in our estimate. But it's once the, P, sorry, the Public Accounts Commission has decided whether or not they agree with the the money, with the, with the estimate that we have p- proposed. Then the Parliament votes for it. Right. Um, again, just something to mark in contrast with yeah. the Isle of Man system. Um, right, um, Mrs. Paul Wilson, next on my list. Sorry, no, Mr. Crookle. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, you, met, <laughs> you mentioned before. I think you took you taken on seventy extra staff this year as trainees. I think it was or whatever. Um, and is that annually you're looking to do that? So we do. We do that every year. Yeah. And does that cater for those that are leaving at the top end? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, I, I wouldn't want to comment on how the number, but that's that's to make sure that we have as agents enough staff to resource all the financial audits that we have. Well, that was sort of my question because you mentioned yeah. before that you're doing more investigations, and so mm-hmm. I was just wondering whether you know the, the NAO is actually growing at the moment in size. No, it hasn't. I'm sorry, I could provide you with the figures over, over the years, but actually it's been pretty pretty stable even throughout the the years of, of austerity where we try to, you know, we <coughs> practice what we preach is so if, if, the, if the government as a whole is, is shrinking, um, then we reflected that with our, certainly our, um, our estimate um, every year. And so <laughs> it's pretty much... Um, been stable over, over over the years and not decreased a little bit. I think I'm right, but I can we can provide you with the exact figures if it would be useful. So, so with a, um, a, 
a public service in the UK of around 5.4 million, um, you're, in terms of that ratio, then that would probably put the the old man for, for your information has a public service of around 8,000. So that would mean we need a headcount of about one and a half if we kept the same ratio as you did. <laughs> so that, that, yeah. that, that probably sounds like where we were starting off as well in terms of uh, our expectations. But I think that was still there's still a bit of outsourcing to be done within that number, I suspect. Um, Can I just interject there with a you say shrinking, so is there a number in your head that you could say government has shrunk by this amount over this period in very, very broad terms? I'm afraid I couldn't, mm. but I can, we, can, mm. we, we can get back to you on that, certainly. Just in broad terms. We, 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 I'm sure we'll be able to get that later if that's, uh, if that's possible. Well, I mean, it's complicated by real terms mm. as far as the expenditure goes, but are uh, you talking about headcount in particular? Just a, just a few paragraphs that would, you, you sure. feel would best describe what's happened in recent years. Okay, mm. thank you. Um, just to pick up on uh, Mrs. Paul Wilson's point there about yeah, common themes. Can you tell us what sort of common themes do tend to have been coming out recently in um, in your reports? Certainly, cross-cutting ones across departments. Uh, well, a key theme I think that always comes up is around procurement and commercial oh, really? contracting issues. Uh, what a coincidence! So a, a perennial, <coughs> perennial issue. Um, so, other things more recently, and again, this comes back to uh, reduction in government spending, is financial sustainability, which we've looked at uh, across various departmental areas um, in, in terms of making sure services carry on being delivered um, at a time of government cuts. Um, digital is obviously emerging as a theme as more business... Uh, government business moves online and how that still um, means that services are delivered to users. Um, I don't think get anything else going Yeah, I think um, um, I, well, just touching on you, you mentioned procurement, a big um, issue there has always, over a number of years, has been what we call optimism bias at the outsets of projects, setting unrealistic timetables in the first place and then. Um, also budgets as well, inadequate budgets, and then of course you're almost building in failure at, uh, at the outset um, of a project. Um, I think another, uh, uh, um, over the years of um, austerity that, that came up, and this is really focused, I think, um, by the Public Accounts Committee, was what the rather inelegant term, um, cost shunting. Um, so it's okay. You might cut. I, I'm thinking, for example, uh, homeless homelessness would be it would be an example there. You know, it comes to the end of the line. Local authority cuts. No, you know, uh, refugee refugees uh, for people to to stay. And then in the end, who ends up? The pressure becomes on the police police force who have to move people on or dealing with people with mental health issues or, or drug addiction, etc. Like that. And I think that's that's come out in a number of uh, <coughs> studies that we've done, but also the the public accounts committee. And obviously, uh, environmental issues and climate change are mm. you know the sort of new things that are now now featuring across government as well. You said when you're talking about investigations that uh, you in that particular context you're there to provide the facts um, now in terms of the value for money studies how far do you go in terms of presenting the the public accounts committee with recommendations or proposed recommendations how I suppose I, I'm trying to sort of uh, assess where your political boundaries lie in terms of uh, actually providing something that the committee can then pick up and work with as opposed to just the, the plain facts of the case 
Well, for, so for our value for money reports, they, they do have recommendations in them. And there is also the um, CNAG's um, value for money verdict, um, which he will, which he will um, insert basically this, this project provides value for money or has not proven to provide value for money or variations. Um, on that theme, investigations, as Linda said, they're absolute. the idea is that we'll set out the facts, surface the facts, and the facts will speak for themselves. Um, Linda was involved and led an investigation into um, a kids' company, um, the charity, um, a few years ago, which, because it was so expertly drafted uh, by her, the, the facts really spoke for them, spoke for themselves, so you didn't really need... Um, any prompt um, from us, so we are we are here really to support the committee, support members who are of course really busy. PAC is not the only thing they do by any means, uh, and our job is to we do lots of um, uh, verbal briefings and written briefings, and we're always on hand to answer any questions they may have or points of elucidation they may they may need. Um, but also, and that, that does include the, the part where they're, com they're producing their own, the committee's producing its own report, uh, where you know, we, we might advise on whether something is in order or without scope or is fair to say, really. But we would certainly wouldn't get involved in um, you know, any, any, um, um, any recommendation the committee might make, however creative or, uh, or, or whatever the, the MPs might come up with. And of course, I think the, the Public Accounts Committee ha does tend to pride itself on being an apolitical, so a party political yes. um, body, I should say. Mr. Collister. Yeah, thank you. Um, just under the, the value for money work, you have a target to deliver £10 worth of financial impact for every, ten, every £1 spent on running the office. I'd wonder if you could actually elaborate on that particular point and how that fits in with your own schedule of work when you're looking at projects to which one to take on to deliver that target. So, on financial impacts, yeah, so uh, our target is, as, as you rightly say, uh, £10 for every £1 it costs to run the office. Um, last year, our uh, saving or our financial impacts were £539 million, which fell below the 10 in 1 target. I think it was actually £8 for every pound we spent um, in terms of how we ensure we get there there is as you say s some planning as, as we do our work to make sure we do a proportion that will lead to those uh, financial impacts um, however as you can imagine they they don't materialize overnight so we don't claim a financial impact until it's actually happened and we do have quite a rigorous process in terms of um, claiming and reporting those. So we don't just say, oh, that's all down to us. We will talk to the department and we will get agreement from them um, about whether it was down to the NAO that that impact was actually realised. There may be occasions when we were part of a, a perfect storm, as it were, where the, the, there were lots of other things going on and the NAO may just have been part of that. And it may have been something the department was planning but just hadn't got round to actually putting into practice so in those cases we will claim a proportion so we don't always claim the full impact um, and the impacts as well are subject to our auditors and um, 
they are all reported or, or the, the biggest ones are reported in our annual report and accounts so there's quite a rigorous process we're quite transparent about them um, but as you say going back to the beginning we need to make sure that as we're going forward we have enough work coming up that's going to um, lead to those actually crystallising in practice. Can I just ask a follow-on question to that if possible how does the general public I know you say you publish reports or something else but how does the average person in the street actually see these savings? Um, as I say, the, the main way uh, we report them is the annual report and accounts. So you can see, actually, in the text we give examples of the type of things, and then at the back there's always an appendix which sets out every impact uh, over £5 million, I think it is. Um, but it's also perhaps worth saying that as well as the financial, financial impacts, we do report quite a few um, qualitative impacts as well where it's actually made a difference to you know people's lives so um, recent examples have been around uh, trauma care uh, in hospitals where down to our recommendations the department recognized that uh, you know the the service for people going into hospital was improving and probably leading to better outcomes so those things again we're quite transparent about and I think sometimes the qualitative ones are probably more uh, you know understood by the the general public because it actually has made a difference to their lives and uh, an example from some of my own work uh, I did some work around children in care uh, a number of reports and one of those led to uh, government changes um, for how um, care leavers are supported once they, they leave care and that actually led to some new legislation and some sort of minimum standards for care leavers uh, you know in the local authorities where they were located so again those those are the sort of things that there might not be a, a number on them but but it actually has made a difference to people's lives so you know it's a sort of mix of the 10 to 1 target but you know I think it's also important to note where we make a difference either to people's lives or to the way that departments operate. And I think if I may Chairman uh, just another great another example of it in, in addition to those that Linda has mentioned is the uh, the report into wind, the Windrush scandal if I, if I may the so perhaps not necessarily for those people who are affected historically but going forward the recommendations that we made and the the, the public accounts committee mm -hmm. picked up to ensure that that never such a situation doesn't ever arise again uh, when you could see the potential uh, for that happening um, um, so yes i think that there's a kind of non-financial impact that, that really will hopefully determine people's lives but it's hard to quantify of course until so, it happens so when you um come to sort of taking the credit for, for some of these qualitative and quantitative savings um, is this only about recommendations that you've generated that have been approved and then will be implemented is that how you how you count it I'm trying to work out what sort of things do fall into this and what sort of things um, you would you would discount um, I mean, I think to say the main thing is it has to be agreed. You know, I, 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 I think there's been a lot more rigor around how we identify and claim financial impacts than perhaps many years ago. Um, so they do have to meet. You know, the department has to agree. Sometimes, you know, there's some horse trading about, as I say, how much we actually should take credit for. Um, and then, as I say, when the impact is is put together, our into our auditors will also go through and make sure it. It um, does apply. So, uh, you know, the, 
there's there's a large number that come up that perhaps you know the department we can't agree with the department or sometimes it's a case of the actual impact hasn't actually mm. crystallised. Sometimes these, the, you know, if you're going to ask someone to change the way a service operates, it's not going to happen within a few months' time. So sometimes we come back to impacts that might have been a recommendation from four or five years ago. So internally, what we try to do is, you know, keep track of recommendations we think are going to lead to impacts um, and follow up on them. Um, so do you have a, a sort of published standard then as to what? Um, what's acceptable or not I know there's a bit of horsing but in terms of realisable and how you calculate that realisable saving is there is there a, a mechanism I, I don't think, I think in the public domain yeah. um, you know we can perhaps write to you on that um, okay. but, but broadly what you see in our report and accounts gives you quite a lot of information about what, what we do what's been agreed um, and how we measure them and some of them are not just for one year they do happen for a number of years okay. so um, Mrs Poole Wilson next then Mr Collister and then Mr Robert Shaw um, just coming back to this tracking the, the, the impact and something you mentioned earlier which is as you said the inelegant <coughs> expression of cost shunting mm. um, do you have mechanisms to track the effectiveness of money spent on interventions to prevent money being spent later on. So to give you an example, there's a there's a theme of um, adverse childhood experiences and if public money is targeted at young children early on, do you, as, a, as, a, as a function, do you look and track the impact of when public money is spent in a certain way, what savings are made, later on because you don't need interventions or perhaps people don't end up in the criminal justice system or in care etc etc so I don't know whether you can measure and track that at all well Linda can uh, can can supplement this I'm sure but we would um, I think yes of course don't forget that we will continue to provide financial audits for departments you know year on year on year which can be focused on some of these issues if a government has if a department has said it would do something take action in the way you describe we would look at that we also do follow-up reports quite a number of follow-up reports isn't it and that could be an investigation or it could be um, another value for money report to look at the impact of um, uh, of a government policy and also to see whether they've done what they've said they will do um, more widely than this, not leaving out the Public Accounts Committee in this pro process, they too make recommendations and quite often the committee will, um, well first of all the government has two months in which to respond to any PAC recommendation um, and they, 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 they will do that. Public Accounts Committee under Meg Hillier has been particularly effective in recalling departmental witnesses um, for um, which are in charge with various programs for it. one that springs to mind is the emergency service network which is if you don't know it, it is a scheme to replace the communications of the of the um of the emergency services but which i think it's fair to say charitably has run into one or two problems over the years and is late and over budget etc and so the, they have recalled them and done an, and published a number of reports about about that and including um following up where um, the department has said it would take some action, and whether it has done or not. So we had so there is that process, the Treasury minute process. The Treasury 
officer of accounts, which is based in the Treasury, um, tell me if I've lost you here, but it also produces an implementation report annually, I think it is, that follows up the progress. Their job is to, to go into departments and say, look, this has been recommended, what's happened, what have you done about it, what, what value has been um, derived from that? Mm. I think uh, the only thing I perhaps would add is, I mean, obviously one thing about our value for money work is we don't look at everything that happens in government. So whereas with financial audit, you know, if you if you take what we look at value for money, it's only, you know, a very small part of the £1.7 trillion spent every year that the NAO, given our resources, can focus on. So we're not looking at everything. But um, in the case that, you, you know, you're mentioning, you know, is it better to, you know, invest in children? So the, the problems, uh, you know, you might see later around crime and drug use and homelessness, uh, which then, as you say, become a cost to the taxpayer. I don't think it's something we do explicitly, but in some of the work we do, we will sometimes try to work out what the cost would, has been because, you know, but, but because we don't question policy, it's not really down to us either to say what what the government should be doing mm -hmm. we can just highlight what the cost of the government is because of some of these you know particular social problems that emerge later in people's lives that was adrian jenner director of parliamentary relations in the uk and linda mills the parliamentary relations manager with the uk's national audit office speaking to timwald's public accounts committee this week i wonder if we'll have an auditor general on the isle of man soon thanks for listening take care